Welcome back, Coblins. What accent was that? I don't even know. It's a good one. Don't try to Tar-Valon. interpret it. Tarvalon. This week, <laughs> we're going over episode five. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, this episode is going to be a little chaotic because I think we're both a little loopy. Maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm protecting. Yeah. Anyway. Um, no, episode five loopy. of Wheel of Time is the show we're watching called Blood Calls Blood. Hi, Lily. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, hello, it's me, Lily. So this episode was directed by Sally Richardson Whitfield, writer Celine Song, hmm. uh, showrunner oh. remains Rafely Judkins, obviously. Yes. Okay. The Rafely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that guy all right yeah. so as julia knows my initial reactions for this episode i would say were a little bit mixed um mm. there were certain parts i didn't really understand certain parts i love so we'll just get into it all right so my pitchfork rating is going to be a 4.2 pitchforks so mm. rewatches definitely help to up this rating and like watching some other supplemental videos about it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. definitely helped to understand the full story but i love the matt and Rand sequence and uh, all the stuff with Egwene, parent sort mm. of the design of tarvalon we will get into it is absolutely gorgeous so there are many things i love which is why my rating is objectively high but what really docked it was i felt like a lot of side characters and peripheral things that i think are important in the wheel of time world but aren't as important to me watching the show at this point having only read the first book mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts? Because I know you have a different view than me. Yes. Yeah, it's... I'm actually glad we have different yeah. perspectives a little bit for this episode because I was also... I think most people, when this episode first came out back in November, December, uh, were feeling what you were feeling. Okay. Because, you know, and I agree to an extent that I wish solely because there's only eight episodes in this season that it doesn't spend as much time on other characters like yeah. Steppen and Kareni, but I I actually really liked this episode when it first came out. I felt very alone at the time. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was like, I don't know, it got me in the mm-hmm. feels. Like, I was really in it. Even though we only met Kareni and Steppen an episode ago, I really liked their story anyway the fact that moraine tears up at the end like mm. got me good yeah. and re-watching it like i thought Stepin would take up more time but it really didn't we we actually spent still a good amount of time with the other emmonsfield characters so i would rate this episode a 4.5 not okay. as high as the previous episode but probably maybe number two or three in my ranking of all Ooh. episodes Okay. Yeah, because I guess my rating would be also second um, to the previous episode. Um, Also because it's easy to compare this episode right after the last episode, which we liked so much. And so I think I could have easily done like a four, but uh, there were just so many elements that I really loved. My main issue is, yeah, the one we're going to differ on the whole step in. I was just like, yeah, I don't care. Sorry, but this is not part of the story that I want to see. I totally get that. I mean, we'll get into it later. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, I get why people don't get as attached as I did. Because it it was so short to know them. It feels a little bit unearned again. Right. To to really make the emotions hit, but it still hit for me anyway. I don't know. (laughs) No, I like that. We get some Aes Sedai backstory. We get some Warder Aes Sedai bonding backstory. Uh, we even get a little touch of a Forsaken backstory. Um, but yeah. Yeah, we do. But as Julia said, like, as much as Steppen was spotlighted in this episode, like, only a certain amount of time is dedicated to that. Like, we still get a lot of time with our main core characters, the Field 5. So, still good. All right. So, with that, why don't we jump straight in to our cold open for this episode, which is the funeral for Kareni. And everyone else who died in the attack on the Aes Sedai camp from last episode. I thought this was such a nice scene. It opens with Alana singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just right away, like, you know, it's very somber. Stepin walks in. He's carrying Kareni. Everyone's carrying candles behind him. And they're just kind of walking up. And you see that she gets placed in this grave. And 
alongside a lot of other people who died mm-hmm. on that attack. And I I don't know, every cold open has been pretty good for me so yeah. far. I've really enjoyed them. I think it's a really cool way to start each episode without having to continue that scene right. after the fact. It's just right. like, here's some context. And right. It's really good. No, and you could tell that the the show was like, oh, can't wait to showcase the scene because like it was snowing and the sunlight's coming yeah. through the trees. It's just so beautiful. Uh, you also see that they're burying the king of Gaelden too, mm, which yes. I thought was like a nice touch of like, you know, we're burying even the people that attacked us Everyone. because all life is sacred, which is the whole yeah. you know point of Aes Sedai, servants of all type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Also lends itself to the wheel a little bit. There you go. The uh, even the fact that they were buried in a circle. You yeah. Know, it's subtle. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you might not notice it's a circle. Yeah. No, those are good. I um. Yeah. And even as beautiful as the scene was, uh, you'll, I'll be saying this, but yeah, I just didn't have an emotional connection to them. So I understand yeah. that this is to further depict the bond between Aes Sedai and Warder. And it is helpful that we get almost immediately a shot of Moraine and Lan and them looking at each other. And Moraine is able to convey this mix of sadness and fear mm-hmm. of this situation could happen to them. And that's very present throughout the whole episode. So I understand the point of focusing yeah. on Stepan and Karene. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just wish that... It just didn't hit home for you. It didn't hit home for me. And I guess that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, and then as Stepan is laying Karene down in her grave, he does take her ring, which I'm sure is like an mm-hmm. Aes Sedai type of tradition where she doesn't get to be buried with it because it has to be returned to the White Tower. Right. I think this is actually new to the show. Okay. The book lorists can like correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember this from the books at all okay. being a thing. But I really like this idea of that. Um, and we'll get into it more with the ring ceremony later on. But Stepan was bonded to Kareni, right. and so, of course, he wants to kind of take a piece of her with him, and it's also in the show a tradition to do this anyway, so I thought that was a good way to kind of represent him carrying her even after death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to point out that Moraine says, May the last embrace of the mother mm-hmm. welcome you home to Kareni. And this is actually a Shinaran tradition. Oh. It's never fully confirmed, but to me, this kind of confirms that Kareni was a borderlander at the very least, maybe oh. Shinaran herself. We don't get much backstory from her, but that is what borderlanders say to each other. It's in the book, they're generally buried naked so that you can be embraced by the Mother Earth again. Okay. It almost kind of works with um, Nynaeve's saying from last episode where her parents become one with the earth so that she is never alone it's it's along those same lines and i love that that's kind of like a through line even throughout cultures because i'm assuming Nynaeve was not her family wasn't from the borderlands Mm -hmm. in the show so you can see that like the wheel of time is always consistent the fact that people are going to be reborn is consistent Mm -hmm. and the kind of respect for the earth is consistent and i love all of it Uh. I love that you brought that up because it's an easy thing to miss because she looks at Lan right after, too, who, as we know, also is a borderlander. So it's a very mm-hmm. uh, emotionally connected moment. This is why I need your, your take, Julie, so I appreciate it ah. more, you know? Oh, thank you. And so from this, we actually get a one-month uh, time jump. Uh, and this is just yeah. to represent the travel time in between where they were uh, and to actually getting to Tarvalon, as they all say. And <laughs> now... I'll say this now, and Julia knows. So we both read the book, so we know that Tarvalon is not seen in book one at all. It's kind of surprising. No. This is actually representing a different city called Camelin, um, which is where uh, a lot of the characters meet up. So I didn't know yeah. that Tarvalon is actually an island in the middle of a river. I didn't know what yes. the White Tower was supposed to look like. I didn't really know uh, any of that. So it was really cool to see to see it as they were approaching, because they're seeing the White Tower before they actually get to the city. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you got this perspective of it, because I think they did such a good job depicting Tarvalon that, like, when we get there in the books, you'll have a really solid picture of what it should look like. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, And, yeah, as the Aes Sedai crew is approaching, uh, we see Stefan leading Karene's riderless horse, uh, we see a gentled Loghain looking exactly like Tom mm. described. Uh, a man mm-hmm. who is gentle to look, vacant and empty. Moraine, I love this Moraine moment where Lan's like, oh, 
like, welcome home. And she's like, my saddle <laughs> is my home. And yeah. being next to this somber man is my home. And like, <laughs> Immediately deflect any emotions. Okay. Yeah. Classic. Great. And then, yeah, she does her whole, we're going to find them if they're here. Mm-hmm. If they're not here, mm-hmm. we're going to find them to Emmonsfield for, of course. Another classic. And they also mention Nynaeve, who I found it interesting. So at the end of last episode, the very last scene, she channels the one power to save Lan and to heal all the other Aes Sedai and to effectively defeat Loghain. And now they've been traveling for a month and Nynaeve is just sort of exactly how she was at the end of last episode. Like very turned in, very like looking out uh, for herself. So it seems like the what's not said is that they're taking her to go be a novice at the White Tower and she's like, I have one mission. So we're going to ignore what happened. But it's crazy to me that one month has passed and like Nynaeve hasn't like cozied up to the Red Aja or she's not like more involved with Moraine or something because it's just a little different. I didn't think about that at all. But I, I, you know what I want to be present for is the moment right after episode four ends. Like what does everyone say? Like, so you just did that? Was that you, Nynaeve? Um, how'd you do that? Did you know? How did we not know you could do that? Um, I was dead. I know. It was kind of like a a play where, like, the the red curtain falls. And so, like, us, the audience, doesn't get to see, but the red curtain falls. And then, like, Leandrin and Moraine are like, uh. (laughs) And then Lan's like, do you love me? And they all just, like, one one by one walk away slowly until it's just Nynaeve, like, furiously braiding her hair back into place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I I don't think it was, um, it was probably a pretty tense uh, hour post that. Oh, yeah. And the whole month. Like, how awkward was that month where, like, you know, they were just traveling? Like, I get the vibe that no one talked about it at all after the fact. So it's just, like gigantic elephant in the room that's like blue whale sized uncontainable but everyone's like doing their best to avoid it like we're just not gonna address this right now because we know you're trapped with us anyway so you have to come to the white tower but like like everyone like i'm just imagining all the eyes that i have slowly politicking like how are we gonna seduce her into our aja because obviously she's powerful and that's a really big boon to have in your aja so we want this yeah it's like they all they all were like okay recruiting can only begin once we get to the white tower they all have like an agreement they're like no one touches Nynaeve okay no recruiting (laughs) violations don't you talk to her nothing okay i think that that has to be what yeah. it was they had this sort of yeah thing because you're right everyone wants her they even mentioned a new aja the yellow aja which julia told me yeah. that is the, the healers so she's a she's a wanted person um <laughs> and she she kind of looks behind at lan because obviously the whole reason she channeled was for her intense care uh, of land, which is just yeah. uh, also ignored. That's another elephant that we're just going to yeah. not oh, yeah. talk about. No, I mean, it it's really rings true to Eye of the World <laughs> in the fact that yeah. no one will address their emotions and we're just going to ignore them because that's how we deal with our problems. 100%. So happening, we would assume simultaneously, is Rand and Matt are also approaching Tarvalon and this part I loved. There's a few mm. things I picked up on. One that's obvious is Matt doing bad. Very irritable, yeah. yelling at children. Yeah. Looks like complete shit. Something <laughs> I noticed, Brand notices a stone post, uh, which looks like some type of script on it. And I wonder if that's mm. Ogier script, because we mm-hmm. do meet a certain Ogier later. So I wonder if that's a little nod. Julia's doing I know what it is, but you don't know. Okay, I guess I'll leave it there. And beyond Tarvalon is this huge mountain, which we know as Dragon Mount, which this is the mountain that Luz Theron, who is the previous dragon of Reborn, Mm -hmm. uh, he created during the Breaking of the World. This pretty much set off the Breaking of the World, right? This event? Dragon Mount? No, I don't think so because he was already crazy at that point and had killed his whole family so i'm assuming some time had passed and like he and the hundred companions sealed the boar and that's what caused the the blowback is the taint so i'm I'm assuming him and those hundred companions all kind of went equally insane at the same time yeah 
Uh, and they started the breaking, and then, of course, like, the taint infects others. But either way, it was around the beginning of it. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Julia, but from the Wheel of Time Origins, which is about uh, the White Tower, in that they mentioned that Tarvalon was mm. specifically built near Dragon Mount so that they were in yeah. view of this physical representation of the breaking of the world and this thing that they are actively trying yep. to avoid. So. Yep. I mean, all of that what is kind of reminder. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. intense. But the moment is this: Rand sees this and he goes, "I think I've seen that before." Mm. Mm. Quick reminder mm. to the listeners: we've read the first book in its entirety, so uh, stop little, now. It's a little hint if you haven't. I would yeah. say, but I appreciated it because the season pr- premiere of this show is telling us that one of the four of you, plus Nynaeve is the dragon reborn and we're getting hints mm-hmm. that it's a queen that it's naive that it's matt and now we're getting a hint that it could be Rand. so i love that yeah now very subtle uh next uh i would love to get into the design of tarv allen and this this might oh, be a little bit please. because this is i would say my most favorite part of the episode so they approach tarv allen as it said in the show like <laughs> i said we're going to be using it interchangeably because as julie and i were reading the book always tarv allen Everyone in the show says Tarvalon. The pronunciation, it's just, always going to be different. I'm sorry. It's just weird. Okay, so they're coming in. Beautiful shot that goes through the gate. You see these beautiful stone uh, rounded archi- architecture, some blue mosaic pieces. I think, and as we get more into the city, I say it would effectively portrays this is like an intersection of many different people and many different cultures. Yeah. As I was looking at this in my head, it reminded me of Istanbul which is a city in Turkey. It's the largest city in Europe. 15 million people. And it's big. I looked up pictures of Istanbul, and it is shockingly it, like similar to Tarvalon. Yeah. And that like really, really excited me because not only is Istanbul sort of the gateway, not sort of, it is the gateway between Europe and Asia, Asia, so it has a lot of these mixed architecture of both of those cultures, and you have a lot of the mosques with the rounded stone and the pillars and mm. things like that, but there's this main mosque, now museum, now mosque, called Hagia Sophia in the middle of Istanbul, and I think this must have been the inspiration for kind of the white tower, how it's rounded on the top, and it yeah. looks out over this huge body of water. So I yeah. included in my notes I, I some pictures yeah, of Istanbul. And it looks so similar to how uh, Tarvalon is shown in the show. I, uh, It's beautiful. Like down to the lighting, everything. It's so similar. Beautiful. You know, I love this connection because I, um, the idea of it just being this huge meeting place for the yeah. world is so true to Tar Valen in the Wheel of Time world right. because this is not it's not the capital there is no capital of whatever this continent is but it really is the center of everything right. like everyone knows that Aes Sedai are the puppeteers that control kings right. and queens so of course this should be the most powerful place and it's right near the middle of the little continent that everyone's on. So it just, it's the perfect center place and it is a really cool connection to make to the real world. And I know yeah. Robert Jordan, all of course, took lots of inspiration from the real world. So yeah. it's it's cool to make those connections. On that note though, I have a fun fact yes. about the design of Tar Valen okay. that is canon to the books. Um, I have left this picture out of my notes because I didn't want to spoil it. I'm going to put it at the very bottom of my notes, Lily. Let me see. Uh, okay. So just, this is an overhead of Tar Valen for the listeners who can't see this. I just want Lily to look at this picture of the layout of Tar Valen and see if it reminds you of anything. It's the center of power where it's only women. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, like the island itself or like the sort of this, like the diamond in the middle? Just the whole thing in general. Like with the ports, it's it's literally a vagina. Oh. Because Tarvalon is ruled by women. Oh. And is that not a butthole in the south? Okay. I'm sorry. Na- no. This is, now that I'm looking at it as the full picture, I was looking at like the island itself and first thought was I was like okay could this be like the dragon's fang type of imagery <laughs> no. like I was trying it's to be really analytical no it's a vagina you're right no this is 
Yeah, yeah, it's a vagina. Literally. Yeah. All, of, all of the right shapes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then in the show, the White Tower is quite literally two shorter towers with a giant middle tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phallic. And then it's also next to the giant dragon mount, which mm. was created by a man, which is mm-hmm. just sticking straight up out of the earth. Right, so I right. also pictured dragon mount to be like skinnier and taller, but like it makes sense that it's a massive mountain, you know? Uh, yeah, it looks very much like Kilimanjaro where it's like really wide yeah, uh, yeah. with the, the dome top or like Mount Hood or something like that in America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you said this is canon? Like, yeah. Well, I, well I, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to go back and search through Robert Jordan's quotes on if okay. he ever like admitted to it. But it, it just is like, it, it's support- Yeah, no, this is fully supported. Okay. You know what? I like it. Yeah. All right. So um, now that we have figured out the mystery of Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. I would love mm-hmm. to get into Rand and Matt's story. So Rand and Matt, so they also have entered Tarvalon and they're walking through the streets. And again, this depiction of Tarvalon being this intersection of so many different cultures. You see a camel yeah. walking by, a mule. Mm-hmm. Rand's like eating a different food. So many different types of people wearing different types of clothes representing all the cultures. So yeah. again, it's just going to show that so many different people are coming through here. A lot of shit probably is going to be happening. So Rand is leading Matt to an inn that Tom told him about in the book. We know this is the Queen's Blessing, but that's what it's called in Camelin, referring to the mm-hmm. Queen of Andor. So it's probably not called that. But regardless... Another little Easter egg. Right. Exactly. They go to an inn and, yeah, Matt... Matt just needs to sleep. Sweet, (laughs) sweet, sweet Matt. This part's really heartbreaking because as Matt's laying down, Rand's like, you know, you didn't kill that family, right? Which I'm glad they included Um, this because they left it pretty vague in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. The Grinwells. Matt says, Tom is dead. This is pretty much exactly how it went in the book. uh, Matt being like, they're all dead. Tom's dead. And Rand's like, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to go and, like, get some fresh air, dude. Like, yeah. the vibes are so low here. Like, you want to go for a walk? No, buddy. <laughs> okay, you know, I'm going to go meet a giant ogier. I love, there was yeah. one moment where, like, Rand looked out the window and could see Matt walking in the streets. Like, we never actually see him out in the streets, but at one point he was, and he just looked so lost. Like, he didn't know what he was doing <sighs> out there, and I don't know what he was doing out there, because he clearly doesn't want to be out there. And, like, right after that, he's immediately back inside the inn. So, clearly, he didn't have a good time. Oh, Matt. Honestly, like, I understand that. Like, you go outside looking for, like, snacks or something, and then you go to Wawa, and they don't have Cheez-Its, and you're like, What's the point? now I'm sad and outside. (laughs) Thanks, Wawa. Gross. Anyway. (laughs) Before we move on to Rand's meeting in the library there was one small little easter egg again as they're kind of doing the sweeping shots of tar Valen, where you hear some whistling in the distance oh my god yeah and then you look down on the street this might be later on right before the dragon's procession um but either way we look down on the street and we see some like women in white and people just wearing clothes and you see Padden Fane kind of leaning on a post and he's just chuckling to himself as evil people are like to do apparently uh and then he walks away into the shadows and that's kind of the whistling that I was warning you about like however many episodes at this point he he's just that's the warning you get and you have to kind of look for him after that because he's always there right he's always around no i loved uh that shot too because it's just a yeah like you said it's just a looking down shot on the street and it's focusing on nothing i completely missed him no the i first totally time I missed it. the first time i was watching it i was like oh are, are we supposed to be like looking at these two women in white like could yeah, it be that? yeah and that's then, what i thought right before the scene changed i noticed him and i was like that is a genius put together that they threw in there um, that Pat and Fane is involved because that hopefully means that he'll show up at the end. They're not going to put in this scene for no reason. Loved it. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing there. Where is he staying? Yeah, you know, doing? who's he hanging out with? I know, he's just like hanging out like against a post, like laughing and whistling. Yeah. Near like a birdcage. I guess, honestly, it's probably a pretty smart move to just be in a city and to act like a crazy person. Yeah. Like no one's going to be around you, you know? And then you just switch it up. And you go talk to, like, innkeepers, and you're like, hey, can I just get a room and swindle your way into different whatever? Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I learned from Hey Arnold back in the day is if you're getting bullied, just act like a crazy person, and they'll be afraid of you instead. So that's been my MO for my life. 
Exactly. Are you prepared for it? All right. Let's get to the scene of all scenes we all, all have been waiting for. The loyal reveal. Loyal. Now, sweet loyal. Now, Julie already knew that he was in the show. I was wondering if this character would make it into <sighs> the show. Yeah. Um, because he does play a role, but I just wasn't sure. Now, how he was introduced. He's fucking with essential. Essential. Rafe Judkins, uh, he said in like the look, aside, look inside the episode, he said Loyal's one of his favorite characters. So I was like, all right, yeah. good, they're going to do him justice. And they did. So this scene, honestly, it's exactly how I pictured it in the book. Rand looking at a book, wearing blue, Loyal comes in. It is to the <laughs> T, Beauty and the Beast. I absolutely love this. It literally is. I loved every sentence of this scene. Loyal's yeah. like explaining how people thought that he's like, you know, evil and mobs were creating and he's like oh i was God. almost starting to get a little bit angry which is ex- like almost. the exact quote from the book which i loved yeah. Uh, yeah i loved how rand thought that he was an ogre and loyal corrects him to ogier which i loved uh for mm-hmm. for show watchers to be like it's not ogre it's ogier it's a different word we cleared that up right yeah um but what we get is that loyal thinks that rand is an iom and he's like you're uh, your name sings in my ears. Uh, it's so interesting to meet Nailman. Rand, I'm not Nailman. You're not Nailman. I'm from the Two Rivers. An Nailman from the Two Rivers. No, I'm not a Nailman. An Nailman who's not Nailman from the Two Rivers. And Rand's like, right. Okay. Begin identity crisis. I don't think anyone's said this to him yet in the show. So like, it's just now is when Rand is like, wait a second, like, cause what? Like, why is he saying that shit? Right. about me right but as we know from book rand as julia uh, expertly pointed out opposite of a sponge rand receives new information <laughs> yeah he yeah. does not absorb it he's like um nope. no you're wrong yeah my hair is red what of it i don't yeah come I, at I, me I, bro mm, mm. but yeah what tell me your impressions of oil when you first saw this did you like oh the my depiction? god did you like the prosthetics like what what were yeah. your thoughts so i um I was kind of reading up on spoilers before the show came out, kind of not, kind of avoiding it, kind of not, you know, because I didn't want to, like, completely ruin the show for myself, but I did spoil myself for what Loyal looked like beforehand, and the the picture that was released, if anyone else was there with me at the time, you know, it made everyone go kind of like, huh, blonde? Oh. Um... The blonde curly hair threw me off in the picture, but when he was moving, the actor for Loyal just gets him so on point. I don't even care what he looks like, and I don't even think he looks bad. The picture didn't do it justice. Yeah. I think it looks a little funny, but in, like, the perfect kind of, like, way that Loyal should, because Mm -hmm. he's such a wholesome character that really is completely out of place in the human world. Like, so naive, even though he's 90 years old, he's just... (laughs) A hundred years out of date on any kind of right. information, and just like Rand literally draws a sword on him and he laughs and says, <laughs> "Oh dear, you humans are very excitable." Yeah, <laughs> like it just he he was so on point that I don't even care mm-hmm. what he looked like, but I think he looked really good for like all they could do. There was no way I think they could have realistically done like an eight foot tall ogier right. throughout the whole show. That just wasn't going to happen budget-wise. Mm-hmm. And I think even in the behind-the-scenes, Rafe Judkins talks about this, how they could either have something that's a little bit more book-accurate to how tall and, and big and different Ogier are, or something that's more doable and have more loyal. Right. And he wants more loyal, and so do I. I loved him. I think his shoes are a little bit silly. You can kind of tell he's on, like, platforms. (laughs) Okay. But I just, I love it because Loyal in the book makes me laugh and Loyal in the show makes me laugh. And I think that's exactly what I wanted, so. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, too, it's like they're, instead of maybe the appearance making him look so different, he's different in how he speaks and, Mm -hmm. you know, how he views the world and how he interacts with Rand. Right. His hands are massive. His That's, I was going to say, that's one of the first things I noticed actually before the blonde curls was the design of the hands and the design of the nose. But you're right. The actor sells it. I don't think if the actor wasn't as jovial and you know, excited as he was portraying Loyal to be that it none of it would have worked. So it, he he did an incredible job. I don't yeah. know his name, fortunately, but yeah. I'm pretty sure his first name is Hamid, but I want to make sure. 
yes, Hamid. He's great. Okay. So good. Again, the casting for the show is just fucking off the charts. Spot on. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll talk about it more. But yeah, so they have this interaction, and I believe it's Loyal that says, like, oh, uh, the Aes Sedai are returning from battle, and they're bringing back a mm. false dragon. And Rand's like, right. what? So Rand scrambles to get out of there. And again, another Loyal, loyal moment. And he's like, oh, we're not preparing you just you humans just jump <laughs> yeah. jump into things um yeah yeah, it's not... yeah no i love how rand oh. cuts off loyal's sentence because loyal is of course going on about something that's not really relevant <laughs> to the situation so classic of loyal rand's like already getting it he already understands it he's just like i gotta go like i'll meet you down there or something right yeah i'll, I'll see you i'll see you later you're not a foe great goodbye so Ran runs out to the streets to catch a glimpse of the false dragon. And no, he doesn't fall into the bush and meet the Queen's family book readers. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, but he does find Matt, who's sitting up on a ledge, uh, looking at Loghain as well. And Loghain passes them and he stares up at... The show makes it look like he's staring up at Matt, but I think he's staring at both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... It's very confusing. Yeah, he starts laughing in this, like, insane, like, serious black type of way. Um, yeah, so serious black. I know that Julia has told me that there's a reason for this that I don't know yet, having only read mm-hmm. book one. Mm-hmm. Can you say anything about it? Literally nothing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. All I'll say is that I think they made it a confusing on purpose because the way that the show presents it is like you don't even know if he's actually laughing or if that's something Matt's like hallucinating it's very strange yeah no that's a good point right because it's the whole thing is because Matt Matt's face looking back at Loghain is like kind of almost Mm -hmm. angry and confused Matt's sort of like yeah what is this why are you laughing at me yeah because Matt's like I hate this yeah and Rand doesn't seem to notice at all right because Rand's just like hyper zoned in on Matt which uh, which leads to this beautiful conversation between the two of them. Once again, the actors that are playing <laughs> Matt and Rand so are so sad. good. So, so good, especially yeah. Rand. Uh, this scene was incredible where the two of them basically make a deal and Matt initiates this saying like, listen, if either one of us are actually this dragon whatever thing, we have to promise each other that we won't let ourselves be gentle like Loghain. We won't let ourselves, you know, fall into the hands of Aes Sedai. And Rand goes, mm-hmm. if it happens to me, same thing, right? Like, you'll protect me too. <sighs> Literally, there were so many times in this episode where I started to cry. Like, and I never used to be like a crier when I watched shows yeah. or TV or movies or anything. The first movie I cried during was Click. If you know, you know the scene. <sighs> Yeah. It was unexpected. Um yeah, it's, but yeah, yeah, there this this whole episode was just sad boy hours, mm-hmm. I'll say. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot. Yeah. But yeah, it's just the subtlety that Rand's able to portray and like this intense caring for Matt while also maintaining mm-hmm. this like dull head sheep herder, like I'm just kinda <laughs> like going around and like Egwene. But uh, it just maintaining this like love of his fellow countrymen, right? And that Nynaeve yeah. shares that too, which will lead us into the moment where Nynaeve's able to reunite with Matt and Rand. Now, yeah. this uh, took me a few watches to actually understand this, so they kind of cut this out, which I... Yep. I wish they did not. So we'll talk about this when we get into Nynaeve's story, but essentially Leandrin of the Red Aja says to Nynaeve, hey, go and check out the gardens uh, and the, the White Tower grounds. So we go to the scene where Loyal comes to Matt and Rand in their room at the end. He's like, I also have access to the White Tower grounds and the gardens. And I found this person with a long braid. And I know that the braid uh, represents the Two Rivers woman. And at this point, now yeah. just bust in and, and they're able to <laughs> no reunite. Yeah, which is very sweet. Uh, we get a little moment where Matt kind of snaps at her and he's like, okay, just rest. But yeah, yeah, something's wrong. We know this. But this gets us to this beautiful story that Nynaeve tells Rand. Uh, but right before that, Rand tells Nynaeve that he thinks that Matt can channel. And he shares this distrust of Moraine and the other Aes Sedai that he absorbed from Tom. And Nynaeve agrees. She's like, we don't need them. We're two rivers folk. We're going to figure this out on our own. I am with you. We will protect each other. And she does not tell Rand 
about her channeling because she doesn't nope. understand that. I think that's very true to her character. Yeah, of perfect to a T to her character. To a T, beautiful. So Nynaeve is asking, all right, well, where are Perrin and Egwene? And Rand's just like, you know, they're coming, right? Like, and this is very true to Rand's character, right? He's very optimistic. They are not dead. They are coming. And this leads mm-hmm. Nynaeve to reassure Rand. And she's like, Egwene, she's strong. I know this. When she was a young girl, nine, ten years old, she was brought to me and the old wisdom. And she had this thing called breakbone fever where her bones, <sighs> her muscles were tensing so much they were uh like snapping back like her legs were backwards her legs were backwards backwards. all the bad things she she was dying in this like horrific type of way and all through the night Egwene didn't cry or she refused the healing tea all this stuff and in the morning (laughs) the fever broke but Egwene did not she was fine she was fine now uh book book spoilers for anyone in the book we know that this is actually the first time that Nynaeve channels because her need Mm -hmm. was so great she needed to save Egwene because Egwene was going to die without this and the holding of hands that was the connection point of Nynaeve channeling but I believe the show wants you to know that the first time Nynaeve channels is to heal land so it's in the same vein her need always comes about for healing people from death I think we get that through line yeah so the point of this story is basically to be like, Egwene is unbreakable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And smash cut to Egwene yeah. <laughs> being fucking unbreakable, which we'll get to, yeah. which was such a good transition. Oh, it was but a beautiful transition. I loved transition. this scene too, because it, it, like, I think we talked about in an episode or two ago how Rand and Nynaeve had a conversation that was similar to the one that they had in the book in Barillon where Nynaeve acknowledges that Rand is different than he used to be and is now questioning things and kind of coming into his own or maybe we were talking about this off podcast either way this conversation between Rand and Nynaeve reminds me so much of the Barillon conversation because it's like they're they were separated they've both gone through some bad stuff and gotten out on the other side and found each other again and Nynaeve who was the wisdom in their village is now more of a peer to Rand whereas before she was uh you know an authority figure more like and now they're kind of acknowledging that they're kind of on the same level and even though Nynaeve is kind of god I'm saying kind of so much (laughs) I do it Nynaeve is there for Rand in a way that I don't know that she would have been if they were still in the village and it's just really nice to see all of these friendships really building over the past five episodes in the show because that's one of my favorite parts of Wheel of Time is just the like Rand and Matt friendship the Rand and Nynaeve friendship, uh, the Perrin and Egwene friendship. It's so awesome to get these platonic friendships that are everything to these characters this is like what grounds them at the end of the day so i i love this conversation i think it also does a really good job of showing how Nynaeve, even though it's been a month since she knows that she can channel yeah full on there's no denying it anymore it's not just listening to the wind she still hasn't fully admitted it to herself i think there's probably an inkling of her thinking about that maybe Egwene's breakbone fever is the first time that she channeled to save her but is not ready to admit it to herself and is absolutely not going to admit it out loud to Rand so if you kind of know her journey you can kind of pick up on that maybe I'm reading into it too much for the show but that's my take on it yeah and I really loved that for Nynaeve I thought that was a really a uh, layered moment for her. Ah, beautifully put, Jay. Yes, layered indeed. So with that, um, I'd love to transition into the naive bit of the story, which is only a few yeah. parts that I want to highlight. Sure. So Moraine um, and Lan lead Nynaeve into, as Lan describes, the warder's quarters of mm-hmm. the White Tower. So Nynaeve, she's all business. She says, I am looking for my people. Tell me when you find them or I'm going to find them. I don't care about your politics. I'm more powerful than all of you. I don't need this. Moraine, she takes a deep breath and is like, okay, I have eyes and ears throughout this city. Once they arrive, I will know and I will tell you. I appreciate that Moraine, you know, maybe she is trying to convince Nynaeve to trust her, but I think Moraine's like, I don't have time for this petty shit. I'll tell you when I find them. Mm -hmm. For now, I will protect you as best I can. But I will tell you this. I understand what you're going through. This is very scary. You just had a 
almost like this unexplainable thing happened to you. And I understand. And no, you will never be the same. But it's time you saw it for the gift that it is, is what she tells Nynaeve. And I love that mentality of Aes Sedai, that it's very scary what you just did, being able to channel this one power thing. But you have a gift and you're going to use it to save people. You can't run away from it. In the book, there's this beautiful quote, this internal thought that Nynaeve has, where she's like, I don't want anything to do with this. With what? Myself? And so right. I think show Nynaeve is not at this point yet where she's able to admit this to herself. And in the book, it takes her really the entire book. So I love this sprinkling of it because, again, Moraine no. is so in character. Nynaeve yep. is so in character. Lan leaves the room, actually. He's like, I'm not dealing with this shit. <laughs> so in character. So yeah, in that's character. That's always what he does in the book. He's just like, all right, Moraine, you got this? I'm going to go stand guard, <laughs> quote unquote. I'm just going to go lean against the door. Bye. This emotion's not my thing. Uh, another point to Moraine being in characters. Yes, she says that she will tell Nynaeve when she finds her friends, uh-huh. she doesn't give her a timeline of when <laughs> yeah. she will tell her. So it could be, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks. It could be immediately. She's not promising that she's going to tell her as soon as she finds the other Emmons Fielders in the town. So I love that yeah. even though she's kind of trying to comfort Nynaeve here, which I really appreciate, she's still maintaining that fucking Aes Sedai scheminess, which okay. Nynaeve is going to have to get used to anyway because... Everyone is chomping at the bit to get to her, and right. I love that they're also trying to hide her in the warders' quarters because, like, <laughs> yeah. who would look for her there? And of course, fucking later on, Leandrin walks yeah, in. Yeah, no, let's talk about it now. All right, Leandrin, a red Aja. Of course, like they don't have warders. They don't like <laughs> right, I didn't men even think generally. About this. Yeah, she walks into the warders' quarters. What is she doing there if she's not just fucking looking for Nynaeve? Yeah. I'm sorry. How obvious could you be? And uh. like, what even is she trying to do here? She's really trying to recruit Nynaeve. Like, she's just hardcore. Like, all right, we made it into the city. Technically, I'm allowed to start recruiting now. So I'm gonna go talk to her and be like, we don't all hate men necessarily sometimes it's about the rules or something you know and persimmons are in season so and they're kind of <laughs> yeah. red the garden or something some the garden <laughs> some english major please tell me what the persimmons line means because i remember very vaguely that there was a whole debate about what this line could mean and if it had a deeper meaning because persimmon seems to have some kind of deeper meaning i, I don't know i'm gonna not even touch yeah. it. persimmon's just an orange fruit i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna just no there is not a deeper meaning to that yeah I didn't notice this line at all. What I did pick up on is Leandrin saying, after after Nynaeve says, oh, you hate all men. That's why you don't have warders. Yeah. And then Leandrin explains, women hold the one power, but men still control much of this world, and they are rarely kind to little girls who show a spark of being greater than they are. Mm. I was telling Julia pre-show that I love this last sentence because it's not saying to little girls who can channel or to little girls that can wield the one power. It's more of this universal statement of girls or women showing that they can be more than who they are and men feeling threatened by that. So I love that in our world that's present and in this world that's present. And the Red Aja Mm -hmm. are people that are representing that, which is something you don't get in the book. So I love that little bit of world building and the Aes Sedai. Yeah, very interesting. He makes her a little bit more sympathetic, even though she's she's really annoying so far in the show. Right, right. So that's um, really all I have to say uh, about Nynaeve. There's one more Nynaeve scene, but we're actually going to stick that in with the Steppen scenes. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say other than that? I was going to move on to Perrin and Egg. I think that's pretty much it. I'm just, you know, it was nice to hear Moraine kind of warning Nynaeve about the politics in the right. tower. And I like that they, they're planting the seed in the show for how convoluted and messed up and difficult to navigate the politics will be because I said I all have their own plans for things as Maureen says in the book and in the show so you really have to kind of guard yourself with anything you're saying to anyone because you never know what you might be accidentally playing into or whatever like Mm. it's better (laughs) for Maureen for sure right and ultimately for Nynaeve to just avoid everyone right now and that's what they're trying to do and I think 
other Aes Sedai, especially Leandrin, have an issue with this because they want a bite out of Nynaeve and they think that Moraine is kind of hoarding her for herself. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Was it Leandrin's plan all along to send Nynaeve to the garden so that she would meet up with... And loyal? Loyal. Like, who knows? But you're right. It's like... Who knows? I said I do things for their own reasons, as we're told. Yeah. A uh, random complete side note that I forgot to bring up before is I am 90% sure that Loyal thought Nynaeve was the woman that Rand was waiting for because Rand picks up The Adventures of Jane Farstrider and mentions that he knows a girl that used to read this all the time. He's referring to Egwene, right. but he doesn't mention her by name. He just says she was supposed to come to the White Tower. I'm hoping to see her here. Right. And I think that's why Loyal made the connection with the braid when he saw Nynaeve off screen and saw her and was like, wait, Two Rivers woman? Rand was talking about Two Rivers woman coming to White Tower. Braid Two Rivers? This right. must be woman Rand wants. I'll bring her back to the inn. <laughs> I just wish they had shown that because it would have made so much more sense. I think it was you that mentioned like it's it feels like this is a scene that they fully shot and then like had to backtrack and then like throw in this really offhand line of Loyal's dialogue being like, I was in the water gar or I was in the White Tower Gardens and I saw nine. Yeah. It just felt like this really weird line of exposition where it's like, just show us that. Yeah, I Show don't know. Me the Lord of the Rings extended cut for season yeah. one of Wheel of Time. I would gladly watch that. Yeah, Rave Judkins, hit us up. Send us yeah. the link. Thank you. At Give Kaplan us the Talk. exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so, from there, on the complete other side of this story is Perrin and Egwene. So we meet up mm. with them where we left off. They're traveling with the traveling people, and then they are come upon by Child Valda and the Children <sighs> of the Light. So. Child Valda recognizes from a pretty far distance. So this guy's got like ace vision. Um, I'm sorry. Did he install hawk's eyes in his own body? Because <laughs> I, I wouldn't so. doubt that. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Evil, evil guy. So he stops the Tuahathan. Uh, Perrin and Egwene with Aram are a little bit farther back in the group. But Child Valda recognizes them, which prompts him mm. to be like, you're protecting bad people. So we're going to slap the shit out of you. But don't worry, we're not going to kill them. It was not a good scene. I didn't like this at all because obviously the Tuathan cannot fight back. So they just are getting the shit beat out of them. Not a great look. Aram tries to help Perrin and Egwene run away. Uh, he is run down by a horse, so they are kidnapped. He gets fucking wrecked he by gets... the horse. Like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, he gets fucking sorry. trampled. <laughs> sorry, Aram. Love you. Actually, I do. You're actually a good character. Um, wow. Yeah. So... We cut to the scene where Egwene is being stripped and she is being scrubbed down very roughly. These people are pulling her naked body Ugh. and like brushing her hair and all this shit, yeah. putting a white um, cloth over her to cleanse her, I assume, before being brought into Child Vada's tent. This scene could have been so sexual. Ugh, and yeah. I, they did such a good job of making it just incredibly uncomfortable and violating without it being anything more than that. Because, uh, like, you could tell she was naked in the scene. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that the white cloaks who were washing her down were just doing it because, like, she's dirty. Because right. she's, like, they assume she's eyes to die, so that's nasty to them. And Valda's whole goal is to wipe out the one power from the world, so they're just kind of disgusted by touching her. Right. And it's just, oh, uh, it was, like, so uncomfortable to watch. And the, the sound of the brushes against oh, her skin, yeah. nasty. Right. No, that's great to point out. Right. Because it could have easily, if, if this was a different show, it could have easily gone down that route, which would have been so unnecessary. You're right. We got the full violation, uncomfortability just from that. And yeah, I'm glad that they showed that just to further show you how awful these people are and how they don't care who they're dealing with. Um, no. You know, we'll have to cleanse you. So they bring her into the tent. They tie her hands down. And Child Valda says, well, I know you're not nice to die because you have already tried to channel, which means I would have already cut off your hands. <sighs> not a good look. At this point, Perrin is brought back. It's interesting to note that Perrin has not been stripped or scrubbed, but as Julia said, they were doing mm-hmm. that to Egwene because they suspect she's an Aes Sedai and males can't channel right. or they have would die. Yeah. problems with the one power specifically. Yeah. So 
parents brought in he's doing bad child valda does this creepy thing where Egwene's trying to call him sir he's like it's child valda the authorities <laughs> in the light and you're like i'm a child yeah cool uh so he just uh evil guy monologues about Egwene, and he's trying to suss out like what level of one power does she have and he correctly figures out that she's not an Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. she has the ability to touch the one power but how does he know this right it how is, does he fucking know it's wild but to Egwene's credit this is where i'm like this character and this actor are excellent i loved this scene so she doesn't cower she looks him in the face and is like i'm gonna like murder you in my next life wait i have the quote it's so good yeah it's because like the whole time she's trying to appease him right like she's trying she's calling him sir and then correcting herself saying child valda i'm sorry like i'm just a village girl who should have never left her village you know doing everything she can to be like i'm harmless please don't hurt me this is a huge misunderstanding when it's clear that he doesn't give a fuck because she says I'm an innocent girl, and white cloaks wouldn't hurt an innocent girl. You can't. And he's like, what makes you think I'm the type of person to hold to my oaths? Okay, alright. There's the real character reveal. <laughs> right. And so oh. Egwene... Wait, do I have the quote? Oh yeah, she said, if you're gonna do it, then do it. But know this, I'll come back in my next life and split you from a head to tail like the pig you are. Mm. Ugh. Tell him. Kill me then. Kill me. I don't care. Safe parent. Right. And it's like, but still in the back of her head, knowing that he's not going to, because she doesn't want to die. I don't know. It's just such a power move. I love this moment for her. Uh, So Mm -hmm. he eventually gives her an ultimatum. You prove to me that you can channel and I'll kill you and I'll let Perrin go. If you don't, Perrin's going to die and you can go. This is where the scene kind of loses me a little bit. So child Valda opens up parents because parent is sort of um over this uh like saddle leaned over a thing yeah yeah so his back is open and child valda rips open his shirt to uh uncover his bare back and he starts he has a knife and he just starts like slicing parent in this diagonal i would like to point out that he fucking washes the knife in what i'm assuming is blood oh, before God. cutting parent which is like the most unsanitary it's either blood or wine i don't oh, know what God. it is it's a dark red liquid i'm like i wouldn't put it past him in fact i expect it to be blood that he just has a jar of it sitting on his table because like he thinks drinking blood makes him god or something i don't know <laughs> it's just a no and so he's doing this and Perrin's eyes are yellow and we know from reading the books that this is from his like wolf powers this is part of why my ratings lower the show clearly has no idea what to do with this part of the story being Perrin's connection to wolves and him having wolf abilities and wolf powers being a wolf person himself they don't know how to depict it visually they don't know how far they want to get into it and so if I was just a show watcher I'd be like what the fuck is happening (laughs) And that's yeah. pretty much what you get here. So Perrin, his eyes are getting more yellow. You're hearing wolves howling in the background. So in trying to piece this together, I'm like, okay, so Perrin's in pain. His wolfiness is coming out a little bit more. Maybe subconsciously he's calling out to the surrounding wolves to descend mm-hmm. on the camp, which is what we end up seeing. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't like this. What what are, what are do you think? about this the parent no i i think i'm with you this is definitely one of the things that also brought my rating down for this episode because it's this moment that feels a little weird and then later on when they do escape that i just i can't get past some of the cheese sometimes in the show and like the specific moment where Egwene channels and uh, not melts, when it burns the ropes that yeah, are holding Parent yeah. together. And he escapes and he kind of growls. The growl itself was so out of place and clearly not from the actor himself that I literally laughed out loud, I'm pretty sure, when I first watched it. I'm sorry. Like, I, 
I get where they're trying to go with this, but it just, I couldn't take it seriously. Yeah. Because it felt so funny. It's just now, like, I, and all of a sudden, yeah. Valda's scared of him. Oh, yeah. And, which I also kind of get, like, let me, let me play devil's advocate for both sides here. Valda is absolutely the type of human who only feels superior when they have every advantage over their opponent. As soon as any advantage gets taken away, as soon as Perrin is released from his bonds, he's just a baby. Yeah. He's just... Hmm, let me figure out how to word this. No, I think you worded it exactly right. It's like he feels superior when he has all of his cards. He doesn't yeah. have skill in fighting. He doesn't have skill even in speaking, kind of. And mm -hmm, you're right. Yeah. And that's the only way to explain how weird this scene is in that parents' ties are severed. He stands up, growls, child Valda, who's <laughs> threatening to kill both of them immediately. is like, don't hurt me. Yeah, which is that's like... That's the only way to, uh, to explain it. I can kind of get it because if he's such a piece of shit, then of course he has actually nothing to stand up on as soon as he's confronted with someone who has the ability to do something to him. But like, also it was such a change in demeanor that again, yeah. I had to kind of laugh at it. Um, but it really makes me question... How he's capturing all of these eyes to die? How does he know Egwene can channel? This is really unanswered. Like, we don't get to see him in those moments before. Like, he has like seven rings or something with him. Yeah. So that's seven eyes to die. That is unheard of. Yeah, completely unheard of. It's not in the book at all. So they're they're kind of upping him here, and I feel like he has something to give him an advantage right. that makes him feel like. He's more than he is. Okay, yeah, no, it's a really good point. Right, because if we're to believe him, it's not only seven Aes Sedai, he's cutting off their hands and then burning them at the stake while yeah. he's eating beetle blood or some shit. Like, you're <laughs> right, there's some, like, sinister evil that's going on here, which is why this scene ultimately didn't work for me, because you're right, it's like, the show's telling you this guy is super evil, super bad, he has advantages over even Aes Sedai, and then mm -hmm. what gets him is Perrin standing straight up. <laughs> that's what that's what that's what tears him down. Yeah. Uh, but right before this, before we get into Steppen, Perrin finally admits to Egwene that oh, yeah. he deserves this. You deserve what? Why would you deserve this? Because he killed his wife, and he explains fully to Egwene what happened. They were fighting Trollocs. He hears a noise. He swings his axe back with all his strengths. It's, it's actually Layla. He killed her, and the actor sells this so well. Oh, my God. I killed her. I killed my wife. It's just, it, ah, uh, that... That's yeah. that's a lot. Obviously, another moment where I started crying. Yeah. Just so, like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Uh, Awful. But he sold it. Yeah. He, no, it it, it, it's great. And I'm glad that actor had that moment because you're right. It's like they're not giving him a lot of things no. to do, just like uh, in the book. But and Egwene's credit, she's like, you know, it will take you your entire life to realize this, but it's absolutely not your fault. And of course, she would have that reaction. Egwene's the best. I know. I loved that reaction because in the moment, she doesn't know if she releases Perrin, if she will survive this moment, right? Like, right. obviously, Perrin's going to try to help save her, too, but she's essentially sacrificing herself so Perrin can make it out. And she's like, no, you don't get this now, but you will at some point in your life. I guarantee it because I'm giving you your life here that you will understand that Layla dying wasn't your fault. Right. And, like, to me, that was her, that was her saying, like, I'm ready to die, but I want you to live. And I oh. want you to realize that it's worth living for you. And it's so, oh. like, again, the friendship moments. It's so beautiful I didn't and even so realize great. the stakes until you explained it that way. That's even more beautiful of the, the whole scene. Excellent acting by the two of them. Yeah. No, it's just, Beautiful. it really, like, when I was watching it this time, the way that Egwene's actor is staring at Perrin and, like, trying, like, she repeats herself a couple times saying, like, you will realize this at some point because I'm guaranteeing it because you're going to live even if I die. Love it. Beautiful. Also, you get some great Egwene scenes where she's in the chair and she's trying to channel and her, her head's back and she's moving her head yeah. around like a witch. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's oh, unbreakable. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> float on the river. Yeah. Drift. 
So that's pretty much that. Now we're going to conclude the show with talking about Steppen. Mm. Uh, I'll give my take very quickly. I didn't care about it, and I didn't like it. <laughs> so Julia's going to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I did enjoy this, because I like that it gave us some moments with the warders. It gave us more time with Lan, which I thought was really nice. We got the idea that Stepan and Lan are longtime friends. I think Lan has even said this, like, he, like, put his hand on Stepan's shoulder at some point and said, blah, 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 old friend. So the relationship is there. You know, we've we have already heard that Moraine and Lan have been searching for the Dragon Reborn for 20 years at this point. So he's been a warder for a long time. I'm assuming Steppen has been a warder for a long time. They've probably known each other for a while. They've probably also known other warders who have lost their eyes to die mm. or who have died themselves. And so you kind of get this really nice moment of Lan and the two other warders whose names are escaping me right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, they're Alana's warders. Right. Trying to comfort Stepin. This whole sequence of events is really all about driving home the point that Moraine and Lan are now understanding the stakes again. I'm sure they knew it before, but it's right in front of their face now. If either one of them dies it's going to be bad, and they really don't want any of that to happen. And there's a couple moments in this uh, episode where I think there's even a scene where nothing is said. Lan just enters Moraine's room and kind of kneels at her side and just puts his hand on hers, and they kind of share a moment where you can tell they're emotional and they're thinking about, like, what if this was us and how horrible would that be, this person that I've known for 20 years who's been inside my head for 20 years? could die and i would feel them die exactly i would uh as alana says swallow the death yeah right and i think maybe there's an element too of like if i die i'm also condemning you to death so it's it's not just me that has to worry about my own life it's that if i die or something happens to me that happens to you and so you're carrying this uh shared fate that's very scary and that's something i did appreciate i just wish it was more moraine and lan and not two characters I met that episode before. No, I I can totally understand that. The ring ceremony I mentioned before, I want to talk about briefly. I really like this. This isn't in the book as far as I know, but I like the idea. I'm assuming it, it goes this way. I don't know if this is actually what they're implying, that the ring of Aes Sedai who pass away gets melted down into this molten ring where I'm assuming the new rings for new Aes Sedai are remade from that. Again, it lends itself to the idea of rebirth and reincarnation coming back, so Karene's ring will eventually become a ring for this new up-and-coming Aes Sedai or something, and it's it's this whole, you know, circle of life, and I thought that was really beautiful. I really liked that scene as well. There was also a scene with Stepin and Nynaeve. Why don't we get into that? Because this was really the warning. I guess Nynaeve has helped him already before with her sleeping drink. And so he comes to her for another concoction. That's a beautiful scene. It's, yeah, it's such a beautiful scene. You can tell that Nynaeve is relating to him because she's also recently been confronted again with the death of her own parents. And she's telling him, you know, if the pain's... What you want to hang on to, I can guarantee that's never going to go away. This is like, other than, uh, if I may, the description of Tarvalon, this is my second favorite part of the episode. This made me cry immediately uh, Mm -hmm. because Stefan's like, this pain, it's unbearable. I can't sleep, but it's the only thing I have of her. And I'm scared that if I work through it or let it go, then I'll lose her. And Nynaeve says... I cried the second she started talking. Don't worry. I promise you the pain will never go away. And it's this beautiful message of grief and loss that when you lose people, you carry them with you for your whole life. But what you're carrying sometimes is also the pain of the loss, but that's a part of them. So it's a positive like, oh my God, it was like so much was in that one sentence. And again, the actor for Nynaeve is perfect. I love this scene. I can't imagine what Nynaeve ends up thinking at the end of the episode because she gave him the thing. He ends up drugging Lan 
so he can go be by himself. I didn't know that. I didn't pick up on that. Wow. Yeah. So the whole sequence is Lan is going to stay with Steppen for the night. Steppen has planned ahead and gives Lan the sleeping drink. So Lan sleeps through the night and doesn't realize that Steppen has left. The thing I really want to talk about is the funeral at the end. The funeral at the beginning, the funeral at the end, it all kind of rounds out, circles back to itself again. It was really beautiful. I really, really liked Lan's reaction to the funeral. Not only does it show that Lan, as emotionless as he can seem sometimes, is a human. He's mourning for his friend that he's known for however many years. We don't even know. I'm assuming it's a long time. But his grief is coming through Moraine as well, where she's also incredibly stone-faced all the time. But she starts tearing up because Lan is, like, screaming from his own grief. He is the one that has been tasked with taking on everyone's grief and releasing it. It did such a good job of portraying how the water bond affects each person. And I just loved that Nynaeve was also really unsure of herself in this moment. She's just watching Lan and seeing a completely different side to him that she's never seen before. And she doesn't know what to do. It's very clear she's, like, uncomfortable. But in the end, I think, you know, she, Moraine, and Alana all kind of are right there with Lan. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. This, this whole episode was very focused on explaining the bonds between the characters. And I liked it. I don't know. I definitely thought they did a good job with it. I love that, your description of it. It's beautiful. Uh, One thing I will say, uh, it took me until my second watch, and then after that I watched the Look Inside feature, and the actor that plays Lan, Daniel Henney, he explains that in portraying this through Lan, he said that tears wouldn't really connect with Lan's character, but he thought that something Lan would understand is is yelling to express emotions and sort of the pounding of the chest, the ripping of the shirt. And I love this because Daniel Henney clearly understands Lan so much, so deeply. And that made me understand this scene and even like this scene so much more. So for me, this episode, it helped that I watched it three times because on the first watch, I did not like it. But I loved hearing your description of it and your uh, feelings towards it because you're right. It's it's emotionally so beautiful, so powerful. I didn't know that about Nynaeve, about the sleeping drought. So that makes that moment so much more intense so i yeah i i've come to actually really appreciate this episode after us talking about it i would say my hope for the show wheel of time is that it becomes better on rewatch because it will be built up throughout the following seasons because i feel like that's kind of what the whole book series is anyway you know i loved reading the series on my first read through But my second read-through, where I had the context of everything, it was so much deeper. And if they could do that same thing for the show, then I feel like they're getting the feeling right. As much as the first season isn't exactly what I was hoping it might be in, like, my dream of all dreams. Right. I think the following seasons can really help raise it up. Yeah. So... I I hope we'll see where season two goes. Uh, It should come out in, like, a year or so. Fingers crossed. We'll be there to review it. But uh, for now, that is our uh, review and analysis of episode five, Blood Calls Blood. The next episode is called The Flame of Tar Valon or Tar Valon, which I cannot wait. I'm going to watch it immediately after this. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. uh, Again, if you guys have any thoughts, theories, all that stuff, Twitter, at Coughlin Talk. Persimmons. Actually, while we're on this, no one still has answered us about the fucking fire bow. And that's from the middle of Oh Eye my of the god, world. yeah. So at Coplin Talk, Coplin Talk at Gmail. Now I'm mad. No one has told <laughs> us. But yeah. I'm sorry. I've tried to Google this. <laughs> but yeah, tomorrow you will get the next episode review, so stick around and soon enough we'll be into the Great Hut. Ah. So that is all for us Coplins. Alright. Coplin's out. Coplin's out. Bye, everybody. Have a good day. Bye-bye.